The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? Well, Lloyd, today our guest is Annalie Rufus, and she is the author of this new book called Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. And actually, it's coming out, it's being published tomorrow in paperback. And so this is a real timely uh, occasion to talk with her. And so let me tell you a little bit about her background. She's the author of Table for One, A Loner's Manifesto and Stuck, Why We Can't or Won't Move. And her most recent book is the one that we're going to be talking about today, Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. Also, uh, she is currently the literary editor of the East Bay Express, and she blogs about how low self-esteem um, is, impacts our lives in spirituality and health, Huffington Post, and psychology today. And we're so happy to have her joining us from Northern California. So thank you, Annalie, for joining us this morning. Hi, happy to be here. So why is it that you wrote this book? It just, it just came to me uh, that... So many people are walking around with this little secret that's actually a big secret. And they might not even know how much they dislike themselves, but I see certain behaviors that, of course, I recognize in myself and that, of course, I saw in my mother who had incredibly low self-esteem and suffered for her entire life. Um, And I, I see these behaviors, and I think this links us all together. So many of us do the same little quirks and the same little habits, and we don't realize we're doing them or how often we're doing them. And what do they all say? They, all these habits say the same thing. They say, I don't respect myself. I think I deserve to be punished. I, I think I'm worse than everyone else in this room. You know, and if we took note of these quirks, which we will talk about later, and if we recognize that we did them and how often we did them, we can ask ourselves, you know, what does this really mean, this habit? It's not neutral. What does it mean? And that... That motivated me to turn that into a book. Yes, I think that's so important because we have these we, these thoughts that we say to ourselves that they're just thoughts. They're not facts necessarily. <laughs> and we say them and then they take over and then we start to believe them. So that's what's um, really unfortunate because we have to, everybody says we have to love ourselves, right? In order for us to be in a healthy relationship, we have to love and respect ourselves in order for 
for all of us to be loved and respected. So it's um, it's a challenge. Now, self-esteem is, is uh, you say that self-esteem is particularly an American obsession. So why do you think that is? I don't know. I think that we just have, we have a long tradition in this in this culture of, of individualism. And that can be a great, great thing. But it can also lead us to a little bit too much self-consciousness, maybe. And we're also a very, very celebrity-driven culture. And as such, that means we're always being, you know, deluged with pictures of famous people. So naturally, since we're deluged with them, we look at them, and naturally we compare ourselves to them. Am I as rich as that person? Am I as beautiful as that person? Am I as funny as that person? And the answer is usually going to be no. Um, so we're kind of put on the chopping block there for, for self-esteem and, and, you know, <laughs> judging ourselves as to be worse than others. Yeah, and it's particularly difficult, I think, for, for young people who see these movie stars, who um, look at these models about how skinny they are, and, and, you know, I look at that and I think, oh, God, I wish I was that skinny. And it, it is. It's a, it's a real challenge to to have us emulate these people, right? Because it's impossible unless we're going to have tons of plastic surgery, and even then it's it's probably not going to happen, and it's not going to be genuine either, right? Well, yes, and, and most many of these people are Photoshopped when you see their images, so they don't really look like that. And the young people, kids are especially vulnerable to esteem issues. I mean, it's natural because they've had so little time in this world but they don't, they don't know the other side of things. They don't know that there's more to life than how you look or how the kids in your particular class feel about you. They don't know, so they're so susceptible to the harsh word or the, the image that makes them feel ugly. And, and that's why I tell people who, I don't have kids, but I, I told my friends who have kids, you know, be really, really careful around them with your own behavior. You know, don't stand in front of the mirror, as my mom did, and say, oh, my God, I'm an ugly, fat pig. Don't do that, because you might feel that way, but the little one who hears you say that is going to think, oh, well, okay, that's my parent, so obviously I look like her or him. Or, you know, oh, this is what grown-ups say. This is what I'll say when when I'm a grown-up, and that's that's what I grew up saying and believing. So, you know, yeah, the young people are are particularly vulnerable, but low self-esteem can strike. Um, at any time in life and um, can, can affect you forever. Right, right. And and I just wonder what the impact of, um, you know, some of the religions have on, on people as well. You know, being born with an original sin, you know, you have to get rid of that. I mean, all of this seems to be so intricate, intricately related. I know for my kids when they were young, I, I took them to spiritual places where they would sing these songs. I love myself the way I am. <laughs> And that's what I'm going to be, you know, because I, I was really cognizant of the, the challenges that these kids have. So in the 1980s, activists began promoting high self-esteem. And that's when, you know, my kids were starting to grow up, right? And um, that high self-esteem was this cure for all the bad things, for addiction, for crime, for low test scores. So what do you think about that? Um, can you talk a little bit about that campaign? And do yeah. you think that it was worthwhile? Was it working? Well, I can tell you this. It started in 1985 when a California Assembly member, John Vasconcelos, um, through his own work in therapy, thought, you know, the real problem, the real problem with kids today is that they don't feel good enough about themselves. And if we can just get them to feel good about themselves um, in general, then 
they'll do better in school because they'll be more motivated and, and they'll, they'll have more positive feelings about how, they're, how well they're going to do, so they will do better and there'll be less teenage pregnancy because people will value their bodies more. There'll be less drug abuse because people will value their bodies more and all these things, and that was his, that was his vision. And somehow uh, he convinced um, there to be a um, task force to investigate self-esteem and this task force came out and said, yes, yes, you're right, Mr. Vasconcelos, and so... Within a very short time, uh, self-esteem curriculum was mandatory in California public schools, and that spread throughout the nation. And that meant this was after my time in school, so I didn't experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, because you have kids, you know, it was it was a thing in class. You would people would do affirmations. You know, I am great. I'm everyone likes me, and people would do little exercises like making um, me scrapbooks and me flags and things that are kind of appalling to me. Um, but that is what happened. Did it work? No, because 20 years later, it, it was more tests came out showing that the test scores had not improved over time. People's self-esteem did improve. Student self-esteem is much higher now, quantifiably, than it was in the 70s. But test scores have not improved, as we all know. And the other things, the drugs, the teenage pregnancy, have not have not statistically improved. So. Part of what he wanted came true. People, kids did feel, do feel better about themselves. But did it solve all society's problems? No. Why not? There could be a million reasons. But I think that feeling great about yourself does not automatically mean I'm going to do better on a test. It could just as easily mean I don't even care how I do in the test because I'm great. I don't need to work so hard. Right. Everyone's going to love me. What if I get a C minus? Who cares? Ha ha. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I. I, I'm going to do drugs because I'm all powerful, and nothing's going to happen to me, and and no one can yell at me. So you know, self-esteem works both ways. Right, right. And self-esteem doesn't necessarily mean that you know yourself and that you're mindful of the things that you say, think, and do. So I think that's that's a real issue. I think the the new age, so to speak, and one of the my driving forces this year is my own mindfulness. I've been working on mindfulness, doing workshops on mindfulness, um, researching it so that I can teach it, and realizing that being mindful of our thoughts and what we're thinking, I think, do would change uh, greatly on how well we behave in this in society, and how well we do in terms of uh, choosing the right careers for ourselves, or choosing the right classes to take, or getting the help that we need. So um, I don't think there's any one panacea for anything, but be- feeling worthy is a, is a great start, don't you think? Well, of course it is. And, and as you say, Mindfulness is a great way of looking at it. It's a great word to use for it. In a book, in Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself, I say that we, instead of aiming for high self-esteem, we should aim for medium self-esteem. Because, as was proven with the big curriculum situation, having high self-esteem doesn't necessarily mean you become a great person. It just means right. you think you're a great person and maybe aren't so considerate of others. I think one of the side effects of higher self-esteem among young people is more bullying because you've got more confidence that you can just, like, berate the, the weak kid and get away with it. Right, okay. the kind of power that's not the genuine power, but the power to to bully people or to be a bulldozer or to um, have some kind of influence over another instead of really just having your own personal power. Yeah. Yeah. And so I say aim for the middle. 
aim for the place where you're, you're, you accept yourself, you're at peace with yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't adore yourself to the point where you're angry at the slightest insult or you can't, you know, have no, you have no patience or ear for other people, but you don't hate yourself either because that's another form. It's a negative narcissism, I call it. They're both a, a kind of self-absorption mm-hmm. that makes you a kind of dysfunctional person, right. a pretty unhappy person, really. Right. So if you're in for the middle, you know, you can, you, you can accept that you've got some imperfections, sure, like everyone, like every living thing. Yeah. But you can also accept that you do some things right, and then you just, you just go through life knowing, yeah. knowing, just like everyone else, yeah. somewhere in the middle. Or just really finding out who you are. I think that's the hard part for teenagers and for people middle age. You know, every time we go through a transition in life, we have to say, who am I, right? Who am I? I don't have to be you. I mean, I'm unique. You don't have to be me. Each of us has our own uh, our own skills, our own talents. I think rather than even comparing ourselves, which is probably hard to do in our society, you're probably right, <laughs> And that's why you say aim for the middle. But it seems like, okay, so who am I? What what skills do I have? How do I contribute to my, you know, my soul contribute to this time on earth? What am I supposed to be doing? And it, it isn't really even about comparison, is it? No, and one of the suggestions that I make in, in Unworthy about, you know, there's a few chapters at the end about, well, what can I do? I've right, right. What can I do? One of the things I suggest is think about your strengths. Even if you have terrible, even if you were like my mother and you have terrible self-esteem, you've got to admit, deep down, even if you don't shout it from the rooftop, that you are good at certain things. Make a list of the, you know, five of these things. Am I, even, even kind of abstract things. You know, maybe, maybe you're not good at sports, but, you know, maybe you have a good sense of humor. Maybe mm-hmm. you are a good listener. Maybe mm-hmm. you have patience. Maybe you have a good sense of justice. Or maybe you do have straight out kind of like, I'm great at, Sports, I'm great at art, I'm great at music, right. I'm extremely intelligent, whatever, and list five. And then think, okay, these things I'm good at, so I know they're going to make me feel better about myself and others when I do those things and access those things. How can I access my five things every single day? Mm-hmm. And how can I make that a lifestyle? And right. it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, move into a different town and have a different job, but how can I do that? You know, do I, do I just... Go and look at pictures of art on the internet for five minutes every day on my lunch break. Even if something as simple as that can be so restorative because it reminds you, yeah, I'm a person with, a, with good taste. I'm a person who, with, you know, who loves art. Right, right. And, and that can really help people. Yeah, and putting down like what you love to do. Maybe you love to organize. Maybe that would be a wonderful career to start your own company being an organizer because there's plenty of people who aren't organized. You know, sometimes people don't realize it's those little things like you were talking about that that really um, are what make you unique. If you're organized or you're a good leader or maybe you're just a, a... a nice person that everybody loves to come to and tell their stories. Maybe you need to be a therapist. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the thing that we're all in school. We're all supposed to be left-brained, right? Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. all supposed to be left-brained and be able to take these tests the way that everybody else t- takes these tests. And I think that really, aside from parents who tell you you're not good enough, I think, you know, schools um, really tell you when you get grades and, and you get graded on something, if you're very left brain, you're going to do better. If you're more right brained, um, then it's going to be harder for you to 
to learn the kind of the way that other people are learning. So yeah, it's it's tough in this society to to stop hating ourselves sometimes when we are looked at with scorn by other people. So let me ask you, the scientific research shows that positive affirmations such as I'm beautiful, I'm smart, actually have a negative impact on people. So why is that? Is that because they're being disingenuous with themselves? They're saying it, but their their mind inside is saying you're full of baloney? Pretty much. (laughs) Studies have actually been done. Um, There's one main study by a Canadian university. Um, they had people of different, in different groups say an affirmation. They all had to say the same affirmation, which I forgot what it was. You know, let's just say, I am beautiful, everyone loves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, People had to say it who already had high self-esteem. People had to say it who had low self-esteem. And people had to disca- describe their feelings about themselves before they said it and after they said it. The people with high self-esteem felt good about themselves both before and after saying the affirmation. People with low self-esteem felt bad about themselves before and felt worse after. Now, the reason is that if, if you say something that you think is a lie, right. then you already hate yourself, and now you've got another reason to hate yourself. I'm a liar. Right. right. So if you already like yourself, of course you already believe that statement. If you don't, you're not going to believe it, and nothing's going to make you. Repeating it isn't going to, take it from me, mm-hmm. isn't going to make you believe what the affirmation says. Mm-hmm. There's other ways of finding ways to not hate yourself, but be, trying to beat it into your brain by repeating I am great. I am great. You're just going to feel like a mm-hmm. like a creepy liar. Right. Right. What impact do you think um, New Thought spirituality has on this? I know for, I I teach um, the tweens, which is like the kids right before, you know, from like 11 to 14 at a Science of Mind church um, uh, once a month. And, you know, we talk about, you know, that God is within everybody and that, that, it's you know it's it's something that you can look at and say that I am filled with spirit, and spirit can guide me, and I I need to listen to spirit, and that spirit is good in me, and I am good in spirit. And what do you think that impact has? It's a different kind of thing than saying uh, from the ego, I'm beautiful, or I'm good, or I'm the best. You know, it's a different kind of thing. It's more of, I am one with nature. I'm one with good. Everybody is good. I'm not separate from anybody else. Do you think that that has a different kind of uh, attitude or has a different impact on young people? I think definitely. I have a section in Unworthy about different different spiritual paths and, and the way they look at esteem and, and the person and, and self-acceptance. And there's almost a universal kind of appeal to people to do exactly what you're saying, to think, you know, it's not really about me, um, but I'm here, and maybe I'm here for a reason, and and maybe I'm here to serve whatever you believe in, you know, maybe I'm here to serve God, maybe I'm here to serve my fellow human being, or simply to do no harm, but when when you have that perspective, yeah, it takes a lot of the giant, huge pressure on, you know, achieve something, look a certain way, you know, those things become kind of insignificant right. compared to just, you know, trying to be a good, decent yeah. creature alive on the earth. Right, and to recognize, I think that's the, the one thing that we're trying to do with these young people, um, is to recognize 
that it isn't about what's outside, it's what's inside. And then, of course, when you're feeling good about yourself, you do, you know, you do take better care of yourself. You, you know, whatever it is at the at the societal level for teens, they'll look better, <laughs> you know, because they'll take care of themselves if they feel that they're they're healthier and that they are they're one with spirit and that they're here on a mission to do their life purpose or whatever. So in your, in your book, you talk about, and I'll just say your book again for those who you are just um, listening in now. I'm speaking with Annalie Rufus, who is the author of Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. And I don't think this is just young people, although I think it's worse for young people because they don't, like you said, they're they're young, they have an experienced life, they don't know that they're going to get through things. And we see a lot of um, kids getting into drugs because of this. We see kids, um, you know, committing suicide. I know just one of my attorney friends just put up on Facebook this this week that his um, daughter just died of an overdose this last uh, weekend, and um, it was so heartbreaking. And um, so we see that self-loathing that they just want to end it. They just want to end because they don't realize things can get better. But you talk in your book about um, autophobia, a fear of self. Tell us about that. Well, I think when you dislike yourself enough, you become, and I've experienced this, you become afraid of yourself because you are your own worst enemy and you know that you're going to screw up somehow and ruin things even worse for yourself. You just don't quite know how. So you're always on edge waiting for yourself to say the next stupid thing, to do the next stupid thing, to make the next wrong choice, the next wrong decision. And it's always in the offing. It's always about to happen. You're always about to screw up. It's just, if only you, you could predict how and where, but you can't. So you live in fear of your own mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talk about that you had this experience um, with your mom that hated herself, and maybe her mother hated herself, and, you know, this is like repeated, right? This is just kind of a pattern in, in, in the family. Um, so, for those people who are listening right now who are parents or will be parents soon, uh, what what is your suggestion if they grew up in a situation where they had self-hatred? Well, it's just it's just a matter of keeping things out in the open. And 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 if you, the parent, have a lot of self-esteem issues, you can't get rid of those overnight, but try not to act them out in front of your child or children without explanation. You know, do not just do it and then go on as if they were supposed to understand that or understand that they weren't supposed to feel that way. My mother was often shocked when I would say some really self-loathing thing myself, even though I'd learned it from her. Right. She would say, why are you doing that? You're cute. And I, I, I couldn't explain it because I was a kid. I was like, no, I'm hideous. You know, I, yeah. I, I just knew it had to be true because it was true for her. So mm. if she had ever said to me, Mommy has trouble with her looking at herself in the mirror, but honey, not everyone does, and you don't need to feel that way, and Mommy's working on it, but, you know, that didn't happen. Well, she didn't have the insight. No. You know, and she probably didn't have therapy, or she didn't have someone to, to help her through that. And, you know, I mean, 
everything in life happens for a reason. At least that's my philosophy and many other people have it. And for you to have that experience was the gift was the gift in, in your purpose in life so that you could help other people so they wouldn't do that. You know, that's that's what you're, it appears to me by you writing this book is you're saying, hey, you know, I experienced that and my soul says this is not good. I am one to step up and make a difference so that, that other people don't have to suffer like I suffered. That's what it feels like to me. Is well, that, that right? my hope. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that gets back to the issue of mindfulness. What what kind of patterns do I have that are being repeated? So if your mother uh if you told if you were saying something in front of your mom and say, "Mommy, I look terrible." And she said, "No, you don't. You're cute." Um then maybe that you know, that would be a mindfulness thing for her to say, "Gee, I wonder why she would say that. You know, monkey see, monkey do. I wonder what I'm doing." That um, that is causing this. Of course, all these parents who smoke, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then their their kids smoke, and they get mad at them and say, "Why are you smoking?" Well, duh, you know. It's like people learn. I mean, children learn what they live, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, can low self esteem also be biological? Um, I think so. And science has not completely tested this out yet because brain science is still so new. But they have found for certain that various talents, quirks, likes, and dislikes can be can be shown in the in the gray matter and white matter of MRIs. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can do MRIs of identical twins who have identical DNA, and you will see that they have the same concentrations of white matter in their brains, mm. and that has proven to twi- scientists who study twins that, like, okay, the, for these two people, these two identical twins, even if they were raised as strangers on the other opposite sides of the world, they both like hot applesauce with cinnamon. Mm-hmm. They both hate rubber bands. I mean, weird stuff they have found in twin studies. Mm-hmm. That says to us that likes, dislikes, quirks, and, and personality traits are in our DNA. That says to me that certain traits that might make us more, some of us more vulnerable to low self-esteem are in our DNA. Maybe I'm more, more vulnerable to criticism. Maybe I'm more perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm more, dep- you know, have more of a likelihood of depression. You know, things that will just put me on the edge where someone without those traits, that person and I could be five years old standing on the playing field and the teacher could say, you two are such screw-ups, and the other kid would go, ha, no, I'm not, and I would just burst into tears and believe it mm-hmm. because maybe I had was set up by my own DNA mm-hmm. to be more sensitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a, just a couple minutes yet. Do you want to give just maybe some steps or some things? You know, I know you have all this in your book, Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself, but if you could just give maybe four tips of for if you are, uh, like we're sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, so we have young people figuring from 18 to whatever, 20-something, but we're also, you know, business people driving by. I don't think this is just a kid thing. So if... If we want to change those thoughts, what are just some steps or some tips that you can give us in the next couple minutes? I say, look at your habits. And if you do any of the following things that I'll, I'll name, just 
think about why you do them and think about what it means and think about maybe I should try to curb doing these things and stop you know, doing them less because these things are just reinforcing my self-loathing. Do you apologize compulsively? Are you always the one saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, when, when things are not your fault? Do you find it extremely difficult to say no? Do you have no boundaries? Why is that? Why can't you say no? You, you deserve to say no sometimes. Do you have extreme difficulty making choices? That is another huge one. Is that because you think that every choice you make will be wrong? Yep. That isn't true. It isn't. So that's just another thing to look out for. Are you incapable of accepting compliments and praise? When, when someone praises you, do you just tune them out or say, no, 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 no? Think about that. Maybe the person who's giving you praise really means it, and maybe it's really, really true. Perfect. So all these things and others are just traits that they yeah. accumulate over a lifetime. But if you become aware of them, mindful, yes. as you would say, yeah. then you can see why am I doing this and what does it mean and how can I, how can I not give these messages to myself. Perfect. So thank you so much, Annalie. These are great to help us. Awareness is the beginning of change and then mindfulness to stop ourselves from those kinds of thoughts. So thank you, Annalie Rufus. You can go to her website at A-N-N-E-L-I-R-U-F-U-S.com and check out her book, Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. Thanks so much, Annalie. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and visit our website, conflicthealing.com. Thanks. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.